Welcome back, everybody. Um, today is episode 10. I'm here with Mike McKnight, as always. And also today we have a special guest, Michelle Hearn. Um, Michelle, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much. I am a registered dietitian. I'm definitely a non-traditional dietitian. I am a low-carbohydrate athlete, uh, kind of marathon runner turned ultra-marathon runner. Um, you know, my history, I had an eating disorder when I was much younger. Um, you know, I became a dietitian. I started on the traditional route of really prescribing that, you know, high carbohydrate, low fat, moderate protein diet, and just noticed most of my patients weren't getting better. If anything, people were becoming more sick, more obese, more diabetic, you know, leading to more issues, more surgeries, heart failure, kidney failure. And when I lost my own health in 2019, I started experimenting with a very low carb diet and I quickly reversed, you know, lifetime of anxiety. Um, you know, I was able to actually make peace with food for the first time. And, you know, since I was 12 years old and was able to, at that point, I wasn't running at all. My body was just broken. And so I was able to start running again, was able to, you know, <laughs> go from like, oh man, I can't run at all to be able to run, uh, ultra marathons. And yeah, now I advocate and preach a lower carb animal based diet and I train for <laughs> like you guys, crazy long distance runs. Congratulations on uh, fixing your health and turning that around. Not a lot of people can do that. Yeah. Thank you. It's interesting. You know, that's why it spurred me to write my book. I do. I'm the author of the book, the dietitian's dilemma. You know, what do you do when you're basically you find out that, you know, your health, everything you've been told, all this high carbohydrate, low fat. It's just nonsense. It's it's pretty, it's corporate profit sponsored. And what can actually return you to health is following a more ancestral diet, you know, making sure you're getting adequate amounts of high bioavailable meats, saturated fats. Um, yeah. Is that for sale on Amazon or? It is. So yeah, okay. my book is on Amazon. There's a paperback uh, if you like to hold things like I do and then the ebook and the audible. Okay. Uh, let's be sure to put that in the show notes, a link to to that book. If you haven't read it, I recommend it. It's an awesome book. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, I, I have a quick question based off of your introduction. So you said, I think it was in 2019 when your health kind of really plummeted is basically yes. what I heard from that. Okay. Uh, if it's not too personal, what was happening in 2019 to make you look into shifting your nutritional approach? No, absolutely. So I was trying, trying to qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon. So at that point for women, um, you had to run under two hours and 48 minutes. Uh, my fastest marathon time was two hours and 54 minutes. And so I was just, I was training really hard, you know, I was putting in, you know, 60 to 70 miles, lots of tempo runs, uh, speed work. I was also working, uh, at the hospital in Portland, Oregon. I was working in acute care. And it was interesting. I just noticed my body just wasn't recovering well. Um, you know, I've been running long enough to know that it just, not just the normal tiredness and soreness. And so, you know, you do what you think you should. Like, all right, I just need to take a few rest days or I just need to stretch more. Um, but things just got worse. Like my anxiety, I've had anxiety my entire life, but I started having panic attacks. Um, I would go for a few miles running and I would break out in a cold sweat once I went out for a run and I start, I just threw up, like I just was nauseous and sick. And so I reached out to a few sports dietitians and said, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Like, do you have any suggestions? And both sports dietitians told me I needed to eat more calories and more carbohydrates. And I was eating almost 3000 calories and about 400 grams of carbs a day, 400 to 450. So 500, 550. And as you can imagine, that went from <laughs> bad to worse. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've talked on other podcasts that I just, I had a day kind of the, the come to Jesus moment. Um, you know, I worked, I covered, I floated at the hospital, meaning I covered different, uh, floors and different, uh, specialties. And so I just covered oncology and we had a patient pass. And so I came home early and I fell asleep on the couch and I just woke up and it just felt like my body was on fire. And I just, I was out of answers. You know, I'd consider myself a pretty resourceful, intelligent person, but I, I tried everything. At least I thought I had tried everything. I had, you know, rested, stretched, massage. I had taken ibuprofen. I'd taken narcotics. I'd taken alcohol, weed, like you name it. I tried it and nothing was working. Um, and so at three in the morning, I drove to 7-Eleven and got 30 pounds of ice. <laughs> I'm sitting in an ice bath. And that's when my you know wife came in and was like, yeah, maybe we should consider doing something different. And that's when I was like, yeah, all right, I'm done. I'm 36 at that time. I'm like, I'm too old to be trying to be competitive. This is stupid. This is a 24 to 26 year old game. I, you know, this is, it's time to call it. 
Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the, the pivotal turn, you know, and that's at the, that point. I, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I didn't know, obviously at that, you know, you're crying and everything feels like it's over, but I decided that next day that like, well, I kind of intuitively knew that this many carbohydrates was not making me feel well. Um, but everything I'd ever read, taught as a dietitian, every magazine, every Google article, every book, you know, told me that I needed these carbohydrates, not just to fuel my running, but to fuel my brain and my health. So um, I decided to try, like, I mean, I had nothing to lose, right? Trying a very low carbohydrate diet. And that's, you know, my health flips relatively quickly. And there's a lot to digest there. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> um, it looks like you have a question, Derek. Yeah, well, I have a, a bunch of questions, probably like you do. Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess my first one would be like, what was it like when you made that shift? Because I, I feel like in the running community and ultra running community, especially, it's like eat as much as you can, no matter what it is. And mm -hmm. at some point, people are always like, oh, well, you're eating healthy, but like you just need more food. Like go eat a pizza, go eat ice cream because you're putting in that many miles, like you need it. So like, I don't know, what was it like then once you kind of like cleaned up all those carbohydrates from your diet and went more keto and or low carb? Yeah. Especially as a diet, especially from a dietitian's perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that too. Well, and from somebody who's had a pretty serious eating disorder, like I glazed over it, but like I was it I, I was basically told you're gonna die, like as a twelve year old. I was five feet tall and fifty seven pounds and hospitalized for two months, you know. So um and I carried a lot of the eating disorder struggles throughout my entire life. Um, you know, I relapsed several times. Not to where I was back into treatment, but lost a lot of weight, struggled. And so, you know, you can imagine that next day. First, I said, I like, all right, I'm going to go keto, like, screw it, you know, and you know, I was honestly, I was scared at first, I was scared, like, this is going to be bad for my health, but if I don't have energy, but I, you know, I started doing some research, like, what does this look like? What will this look like? Because um, I'd read about ketogenic diets being anti inflammatory, and I just felt like my whole body. And then I stumbled sense to me, you know, well, at first, I was like, this is nuts. But the more I read about it, I'm like, God, my body is just broken. My immune system is broken. My brain is synapsing. Could could this protein not only heal my muscles, but maybe you know, I knew it's like these things you know, but you just don't put together. I knew that amino acids are the precursors to neurotransmitters. What does that mean? That means that when you eat protein, you know, they actually the building blocks of protein are actually important for your brain health. And so, you know, telling telling my wife like, hey, I want to do a carnivore diet. She was like. No, <laughs> she was like, "This is crazy. This is terrible. I cannot support this. This is, a, this is only set you back." And then, um, you know, going to the hospital where I worked, you know, going from eating bananas and bagels and potatoes to showing up in the morning with a pound of meat and butter, I literally had one of the dietitians um, pull me aside and be like, "You're going to get heart disease. Like this is dangerous." Um, and granted, this person is, you know. 5'2 and 240, <laughs> which is always interesting to me. But um, yeah, so that it was a very, I tend to be, as I imagine many runners and other people a little bit like, like driven, like, all right, if we're going to do this. Let's go. Right. Um, but I, I felt, I can't exactly even, even to this day, like why I felt so much, like, I just need to do this. I've got to try this. I think partly because I tried, you know, this other way for so long and then also I'd reached out to several people in the ketogenic and carnivore community and they were telling me their, their health journeys and stories. And, you know, I think a lot of times when things aren't going well, um, people want to double down. And I know I did that. Like, let's double, let's just, you know, more carbs, more of this. But I think sometimes, um, you know, we're, we're asked to be humble. We're asked to have some humility. And I definitely, at that point, my health was so broken. I literally had to come in and say, look, look, I'm a registered dietitian. I've been doing this. And this isn't working. So I see you and, you know, reached out to several people, like I said, and you look happy and healthy. I'm not happy and healthy. Can you share with me what you're doing? And I feel very grateful that there are many people in the ketogenic community, um, Dr. Bickman, Dr. Westman, that like took the time to even like message me back, like, hey, here's some trials, like read this, look at this. And I was, I was floored. Like, that's not something that we're taught. And as dietitians, we're not, <laughs> you know, I had heard that keto will kill you. It's a fad. It's all this stuff. So the more I did the research, the more I was like, wow, this is not only safe, like this could potentially be something really good for me, you know, at least for a short period of time. 
I just want to say kudos to you for making that shift because, you know, from my perspective, when I made the shift, like I don't have a background in nutrition. Like I was just like, Hey, I'm overweight. I'm puking at my races. I'm bonking (laughs) at my races. Like this might help me. Yeah. I'm going to try it out. Like I, I didn't have that background. I didn't have that understanding of how much like, um, negativity there was towards a low carb approach. (laughs) So you like coming in as a registered dietitian, like it's almost to the point, and I'm not saying this is how you were, but like nutrition's almost like religion at this point. Oh, it is. It really is. It's, it's frightening to me. Um, I feel, you know, at this point we, we statistically have 93% of our population that is metabolically unhealthy. Like that's phenomenal. And we're seeing the rates of obesity increase, not like a little bit, like exponentially in, in children, you know, the fastest growing demographic of obese humans is children ages two to five at this point. And for traditional dietitians just to sit there and be like, eh, like then just keep doing the same thing. It's like, <laughs> holy crap. Like we've, we've been doing this since the eighties and this is not working. Like we got to take a step back. It's once again, that, that feels very, almost one step beyond religion. That feels really cultish <laughs> to me, but you know, well, I obviously we could probably talk a lot about that, but um, yes. So, and I think too, I mean, it takes a little bit of grit because those first few days are not fun. You know, I was eating a lot of sugar and a lot of carbohydrates and I felt like I wanted to claw my eyes out like you're, and I wasn't doing it perfectly. I would tell everybody, <laughs> set yourself up, lots of fluid, lots of electrolytes. I just kind of willy nilly. And so, you know, day three, you had like the worst headache of my life. I remember driving home and like the traffic lights hurt and I come in the door and my, my wife who's not on board with this. is like, how's that going? How's that low carb diet going? <laughs> it's great. Really great. You know, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm grateful there's enough community and enough support to be like, Hey, you know what? Let's, let's give this time. We're such a quick fix society. It just, it breaks my heart how many people will try something for a day or two days and then go back to their addiction. You know, like, Oh, I tried giving up soda, but eh, whatever. I tried eating less carbs, but eh, you know, um, it takes a little bit of grit to say like, you know what I would tell anybody, if you, you got to give something 30 days, I don't care what it is, you know, whether it's exercise or nutrition or relationship or, yeah, you can't give <laughs> Amazon is spoiled as all. We don't have it in 48 hours. We're like, fuck it, you know? <laughs> exactly. So, but anyway. So I have a question then um, from a dietitian's perspective. You're a registered dietitian, right? Yes, I am. Okay. So why do you think like the nutritional industry slash dietetics world slash RD world, whatever you want to call it, why, why do you think they're so stuck in this dogma of like more carbs is better and then saturated fat is bad and fat and protein are bad in general? Um, you know, well, unfortunately, you know, the Academy of Nutrition, which is the governing board of all dietitians, is heavily sponsored by processed foods. Like, I've known that since I became a dietitian. Like, I refuse to be a member of the Academy of Nutrition. Um, you don't have to be a member to be a dietitian um, since I became a dietitian. Cause even when I followed a high carbohydrate diet, I'm like, there's no way this is not a conflict of interest. You know, when I graduated, their top two sponsors were Coca-Cola, PepsiCo and Frito-Lay. And today it's, I believe it's like General Mills, Frito-Lay, Abbott is a big one. Abbott makes it sure. And so when you have these very large companies, um, sponsoring you, and we just had a study, um, that was released in, well, in the New York times, it said not only are they sponsored by these companies, meaning they you know they get money from these companies, they are investing in these company stocks. And I was like, how how is every dietitian not losing their mind? You know, and so it comes back to, you know, I remember arguing with an older dietitian about this in 2015, um, and her being like, well, it's not like you're going to ever walk into a patient's room and be like, hey, have a Coca Cola, it's good for you, and that's true that's not what they're buying. You know, no dietitian is going to go in unless you're on palliative care or, you know, whatever at that point. <laughs> you got a few weeks, I don't care what you do. Um, but in general, nobody's going to go into a uh, patient's room and like recommends, you know, a Coca-Cola, but what they're buying, what all these process companies, and it's so brilliant uh, from a marketing standpoint, you know, if you have no soul that, when a patient says like, Hey, is it all right if I have a Coca-Cola, you know, in moderation, or if I have one every day, every other day? Oh yeah, sure. Just have it in moderation. And it's, it's brilliant. You know, it's a great way to keep people sick 
because moderation has no definition. Ask 10 different people. Is it once a day, once a year, twice a day, six times a day, once a week? Nobody knows. And we've also, you know, all these companies that are sponsoring dietitians, the cereals, cookies, crackers, pasta, you know, these products are engineered not only to override your body's ability to stop eating, they're to override your brain's ability to stop eating. It's pretty brilliant. So, and it's very, I mean, it's literally someone's full-time job to like, how can I keep you (laughs) coming back? It's amazing. So why are they so... Why are they so um, slow to change? Because if you said like, look, you guys, we can we can restore, nobody should have type two diabetes. Like truly, nobody should have that. We can reverse that. We can make you more um, sensitive to insulin, to your, your cells to insulin within two weeks on a low carb diet. We've got very, very good clinical trials on this, especially for ketogenic diets, low carb, um, ketogenic, even just low carb diets, di- type two diabetes, so much research on this. Um. So for, for dietitians to change, you're going to lose all your money. <laughs> it's all about money. If you could heal people, like if there were, if you could monetize healing people, every single, our, our medical system would look, look entirely different. Um, so that's, that's one reason. One, it's money. And two, I think there's also, I talked about a little bit earlier about humility. It is very hard for people who've been practicing for 30 years, 40 years to say, I was wrong. The advice I gave hurt people. The advice I gave might have actually killed people. Like that's a really hard thing for people to come to terms with. You know, it's called cognitive dissonance. So you've got those two things working together. And then you've got a lot of, um, you know, most dietitians that come into the internship, mostly women, a lot of young, skinny white girls. And like, I'm saying this as a, you know, lean white female, um, that it's, well, I can eat this way. Why can't you eat this way? You know? And obviously, you know, things tend to catch up with you as your life and hormones and metabolism shifts. So, so there's, there's a lot of things working against it, but I would certainly say the number one thing is just, there's just so much money. There's so much money. I mean, I think we all know that on like a baseline level, but having worked in the hospital setting, like there's a profound amount of money keeping people sick. Yeah, that's super interesting. And like, I'm, I'm not a doctor by any means, like I do film production, but um, last was it last year, or the year before we were doing a show, and I won't name who it was for it's on TV now. So it was like a super fun, big project, but we shot a couple segments at a hospital in Utah. And a couple nurses were there. And they're just like, kind of there to monitor us slash help out a little bit. And they brought a bunch of food for us. And literally it was donuts, cookies, Coca Cola, sugared Gatorade, just a bunch of like processed junk. And I just thought it was really interesting that here we are doing a segment on health and nutrition in a hospital setting with a woman that's definitely very, very sick. And she ended up actually passing away a couple months later. Mm -hmm. And here we are like just getting served junk food. Like it was so wild to me to think that like, that's just like normal and commonplace. And these women who are not to like shame them by any means, but they were not healthy. You can tell just by looking at them and like, that's kind of like our our uh, medical industry or hospital industry in a nutshell, like just poor food choices and then just poorly or I don't know, doctors and uh, nurses and poor health. And it, it's really sad. Yeah, no, it is really sad. And it is interesting because often when I was in the hospital and I would talk to nurses about it, it wasn't a lack of knowledge. Like I would say like, yeah, your, your patient with diabetes has so many, ordered so many carbohydrates. Like, oh yeah, I, I know. It's, we'll just give them insulin. Like they know, it's not like they don't know. Um, but it's, it's really, it's just this profound disconnect. And I think it's, it starts to wear you out, you know, having worked in the hospital for so many years, you just see so much sickness that you're just like, I, I don't know. We'll just, it's just like, you almost have to become numb to it to some degree. Um, so where obviously if we really, you know, toughened up for lack of a better word, you know, like if you are type two diabetic, you no longer, your body can no longer tolerate carbohydrates. Like this isn't a game. This is your life. You know, we really need to eliminate them at least for a period of time until you're metabolically healthy. And that's just, you know, we like to, in society, we like to fluffy bunny people. You're like, oh, it's fine. Have a donut. It's okay. You know, so as opposed to doing that, we'd have to toughen up. And then you'd also get people better though. And then they wouldn't need your surgeries and medications and, you know, your profits go down. (laughs) So, but I do believe if you incentivize health, 
I do feel like that would actually, we would start to see a change in our healthcare system. That'd so be nice we, if that happened. Yeah. Sorry, good luck. Go Someone's going to let me know when that, <laughs> I don't know if it'll be my lifetime, but yeah, you can always hope. Yeah, maybe someday, maybe after the apocalypse or something. <laughs> <laughs> that leads me to my next question. Then, um, like growing up, like my my mom, like bless her heart, my parents, like they did the best they could. They followed the like, government guidelines for health, like high carb mm-hmm. diet, lots of bread, all this sort of thing. And like I don't know, our family was never like never very healthy nor like unhealthy by any means. Just kind of like me- like mediocre, I guess you could say. But like I always had digestive issues growing up, just kind of like weird noises in my gut. And my family always said it was a genetic thing. Like, oh, your grandma had that. And like, your great grandma had that. It's like, okay. Like, I always just thought that was bull crap. And it, it really, really bothered me a ton. But I noticed that once I started cleaning up my diet and going more low carb and like specifically animal based, that a lot mm-hmm. of these issues went away. Like my di- digestion, not to be, not to get too much information on this, but like just cleared up like really well. And like my running was better. Like everything just felt better. Like skin conditions got a lot better. And even like during races and stuff, like I hardly ever had any like gastric distress. Even if I did have a lot of carbs, it never really bothered me. So like my theory is that by eliminating these ultra processed foods from my diet, that my gut healed quite a bit. Like, do you know much about like, like the gut lining and digestion, how that is affected by a keto and or animal based (laughs) diet? Yeah. And it's so funny. It's just like my, my, snarky question was like, wow, you followed a species specific diet and you, <laughs> you, you did well. It's so funny. I feel like as a, as a humans, we recognize that every species has a species specific diet, right? I like to give the example that I have a dog and a tortoise and they eat very differently. You know, Jackson eats liver, Jackson's a dog, um, you know, <laughs> and more of the animal based foods where Gertie, the tortoise eats lots of leaves and greens. Um, but it's like for humans, we're just like, well, eat whatever the hell you want. And we act shocked when we have all these issues. Right. So yeah, we've actually shown, um, you know, processed foods over time can cause gastrointestinal distress, right. They can cause lots of issues and inflammation in your, in your GI system, where when you're eating, you know, mostly protein and certainly those, um, in saturated fats, saturated fats are actually really nourishing to the entire body. So a lot of people with IBS, with Crohn's, with other issues, when they eliminate a lot of, um, you know, carbohydrates, and even in some cases, you know, eliminating a lot of vegetables, I guess a dietitian, I was told like, ah, you got to eat more fiber, the better, always tons and tons of vegetables. Um, you know, and so we often see when people reduce those, they actually feel better. You know, I'm not anti-carbohydrate or anti-plants, but I think we've, we've kind of flipped the script, you know, it needs to be like being fat is the base and then plants and carbohydrates to tolerance and obviously productivity where right now our society is like, ah, lots and lots of carbs and plants and maybe a little meat and fat, you know, that has made us very, very sick. Yeah. I think it's use the term flip the switch. I think it's interesting that you know, when, when you hear a lot of professionals talking about a low carb approach, you know, specifically like how, like our brain needs glucose. I'm sure you've heard that statement quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when, when I first started looking at a low carb approach, I heard the phrase a lot like, oh, your body will evolve and get used to like flipping the script and burning fat over, or over glucose or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, the more I've thought about this, especially since me and Derek have started this podcast, it's like, you know, our ancestors they didn't have access to all the uber processed foods that we have today. And so essentially like, we're not really flipping the script. We're just going back <laughs> to what we were doing in the first place. Like but yes. our, our bodies tried evolving to this high carb, high processed diet, and it's just not working. And so more and more people are just slowly going back to what's been working for thousands and thousands of years is the way I see it. At least I could be wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think when you follow a very high carbohydrate diet, you know, you're going to get a lot more um, things that are been termed anti-nutrients and the specific things that I think are really interesting are like phytic acid, you know, phytic acid is really high in like oats and beans and wheat and other things. And it's not that it's in and itself bad, but the problem is, you know, back in, like you said, throughout history and evolution, the amount of phytic acid we ate, I mean, it's very small and other things was super, super small. 
And now we consume so much phytic acid. And what phytic acid does is it actually binds to calcium and iron, you know, and the number one uh, mineral deficiency worldwide, and certainly in runners and athletes is, is iron, right? A lot of people are low on iron, low on iron. And so it's like the perfect storm, you know, of a, you're getting all of this, you know, um, anti-nutrient that binds to to the vitamins and minerals. And then you, you barely eat any of that actual vitamin and mineral. And then you're like, Oh, I don't know why things are so off. You know, it's like, that's just very interesting. We, you know, when you eat these things that humans were really not designed to eat, you know, um, you're going to have consequences. And unfortunately our entire food system is built that you eat lots of those things, right? Like you can't even go to home Depot. I can't even, I took my dog to the vet and they had like a, Hey, you press the button. One of those cappuccino machine things like sugar and processed foods are everywhere you know and you 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 literally have to rise above like you have to pack your own food plan ahead do all these things um if you're going to be a healthy human and that's that's really hard to do and we're obviously seeing the consequences of that of more and more people are you know sick and overweight and depressed yeah and more and more people talk about how the time to meal prep and just how like how expensive it is, how hard it is to do all these things, how much time and money you have to invest into your health right now to eat this way. But I, I love hearing all those doctors, you know, someone like you, somebody, I don't want to say his name. I say his name in every episode, but there's this <laughs> other, other doctor that I follow. Like they always make the statement like, yes, health does cost time and money, but it's going to cost so much more time and money in the future. If you're not going to prioritize your health because you're going to have doctor bills you're going to have all these trips to the hospital to take care of yourself, like all the time and money that you're going to have to invest into your health in the future because you went too far the wrong direction is going to be so much more than just taking care of it right now. Is Yeah, and maybe, it. and maybe I'm strange because I thought about that. I remember giving a presentation in 2014 and that was a, to personal trainers and this guy was like, ah, oh, it's just so expensive to, to, you know, to meal prep. And I said, you know what's expensive is a shitty life. Like that's, what's really expensive. Like if we're going to break it down, like, and I, and this is, you maybe caught me on the day where I'm extra feisty, but I'm like, you know, grow up, like make some hamburger. What is going on where half the society will be like, man, I don't have time. And you're fucking around on Instagram for an hour. You do have time. I swear. I swear. I, I've yet to meet a human that does not have time. If you're watching this, you have time. If you're listening, you have time and you can do it. And they, the value, like we, like you said, we're not buying into the long term. You know, it's like that's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things about running. Is it? Um, it's one of the few things I think, like in in our super crazy fast paced, I want it now, now society, that it's time on task. Right, I'm running every day, putting in the miles, putting in the work for that. You know, one or two races a year. It's like you can't cheat nature. And you can't do that with your body. You can't expect to go through the drive-through or, you know, getting crappy teriyaki and be like, oh, I don't know why my health's so bad. Like, take the time to do it. And if, you you know, bring in your family, bring in your kids, do, do it together. But investing in what you are putting in your mouth. Like, I'm amazed how many people will go, oh, I went to my naturopath and dropped $300 on all these supplements. And they're like, obese. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that's like the tippy, tippy top of the pyramid. We need to like hit the bottom, bottom, bottom. You know, so start there, start with getting, you know, getting some high protein, getting some meat and some fat, start with stabilizing your blood sugar, start with eating the most nutrient dense, you know, satiating foods. Like I just, where is this attitude coming from where it's, I don't have time. You do. The truth is you don't not have time, you know? And if, if your life is that crazy to where you genuinely like, I only sleep four hours, then that you need to sit down with like a therapist and figure that out because <laughs> that's not good that's not long-term sustainable like that could be a different conversation so ugh, you got me going got me going Sorry. The whole of time. it's all right it's all right hopefully people appreciate it now michelle told you to sit down with the therapist this is the last thing i'll say about that and then i'll let derek <laughs> take it but okay i i you know, we've talked about diabetes, or I guess you've referenced diabetes a couple of times. Sure. And Derek and I were talking about this a week ago, but I find it so interesting that it's common knowledge that if you're a diabetic, it's because you're not metabolically healthy. And the way you got to that point was not from eating too much animal meat. It was from eating too much carbs, too much processed carbs, too much junk. And so it's, it's common knowledge that when you become a diabetic, 
you have to lower your carbon take. And that's kind of the protocol to stay healthier, to hopefully correct the issues that you're having. And so uh, this isn't really a question. It's just more of a statement or an observation. I just find it so interesting that that's a common understood practice. But as soon as somebody who's metabolically healthy just wants to go low carb to stay on top of the game, all of a sudden they're eating poorly and like all hell breaks loose because you're choosing to do that as a preventative measure. It just blows my mind how people look at it that way. Like there's nothing wrong with just being on top of it and making sure you don't get to a point where you're forced to do that in the future. You're essentially gambling with your health by just saying, Hey, I'm healthy. Like that's most likely not going to happen to me. I'll, I'll just keep eating this way because I have great genetics or whatever. It's just, it's just a gamble really, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I'm with you. So yeah, not a question, just a st- <laughs> I, I totally agree with that. I think it's it kind of goes back to what Michelle was saying earlier. Like we live in this culture of instant gratification. And so like, yeah, eat as much crap as you want because it feels good in the moment and then deal with the issue down the road. Like, okay, well, yeah, if I have diabetes. Like I'll just take insulin. If I become obese, I'll just get gastric bypass and I'll be fine. It's like, these are like crazy solutions for a very simple problem. It's like you're diabetic because you're, for the most part, because you're eating too much junk. Like you're obese because you're eating way too much and you're not moving. Like it's pretty simple, honestly. And I think a lot of people try to complicate nutrition in a lot of ways. It's like quit eating the ultra processed crap and go for a walk. Like, I don't know. Like it it seems pretty simple to me, but I don't know what you think about that, Michelle. Like I'm not an RD by any means. (laughs) You know, I I also think we've done a very poor job in general um, in society of teaching people uh, emotional management skills and proper coping skills, you know, and uh, they've been like, you know, I have a good relationship with both my parents, but like, you know, if my mom was upset or angry, it wasn't like, ah, Michelle, I'm going to go journal and go for a walk. It was like, ah, crazy, you know, drama, fight, whatever. So learning how to deal with things without food, food is a very powerful coping skill for many people. Um, And I think, you know, I mean, just think about it. It's like, ah, you had a bad day, go get a snack. Oh, you had a great day. Let's celebrate the snack. Like we're always, we're always inundated with the sugar. And so now you take somebody who maybe is kind of depressed, is overweight, or life sucks. I mean, sugar may be the only thing they wake up for. And so to be like, all right, cool, we're going to like, you need to go for a walk, give you some mean fat, no sugar. Like that, that's, <laughs> that's a very hard and scary thing to tell somebody to do. And so, you know, in my ideal perfect world, we would address it multifaceted, right? We would say like, all right, let's, let's, let's talk to somebody about how we got here. Like, what else do you like to do? What else can we help you do as we're kind of like weaning you off this? Cause it truly can become like an addiction, you know, what other habits can we ingrain in you? Um, but I hear what you're saying. Like it does, like it is, what's the word? It's, uh, simple, but not easy. Right. It's not like yeah. we, we want to overly complicate it and make it about genetics and blah, where it's like, no, you just, you need to, you need to stabilize your blood sugar, eat less and move. That is, that is true to some degree. But you also have to, you know, balance hormones and um, deal with deal with your shit. So, <laughs> so and you mentioned a few minutes ago, like like the mental health aspect of mm-hmm. of like diet, essentially, and like things that were going on in our lives. Like, how does a high carbohydrate, ultra processed diet like affect your mental health? As being in like the outdoor industry for basically my entire life like working with a lot of athletes and stuff, I, I see this correlation a lot. And this isn't like everyone that's on a high carb diet has mental health issues by any means. But like, it seems like a lot of people will post like, oh, here I am eating Reese's peanut butter cups and Hostess cupcakes. And I love my life on my bike. It's so great. And then literally their next post is like, oh, I have ADHD and I'm depressed and my life is terrible. <laughs> it's like, it, I, I just, they like fail to grasp like that connection or the correlation there. And so at least I'll, that's how I see it. So like from your perspective, is there a correlation between these like high sugar diets amongst athletes or even normal people? Like, you know what I mean by normal people, like non-athletes and their mental health? Um, Well, absolutely. I mean, just from a um, biophysiological, like when you have something, you know, high sugar, ultra processed, like you like a Reese's pieces or just, um, you know, cornflakes, right? What happens is you're going to get a rise in your blood sugar. When your when your blood sugar rises, you know, your pancreas releases insulin and then you're going to have a crash. You know, you're going to come down depending on, you know, how ultra processed that food is. And so, you know, I've seen people and I can attest to this, you know, you eat a very high carbohydrate, high carbohydrate breakfast 
Um, even say you ate 800 to 1,000 calories, two hours later, you can feel dizzy, shaky, and hungry. Your body doesn't need more calories. It's just you've had such a high, you know, your blood sugar went up so high, your pancreas secreted so much insulin that you crashed. So a lot of um, athletes that follow very high carbohydrate diets, um, it's like you go from feeling like euphoric, I'm on top of the world, to down, right? Um, and, and that's just what's happening in your body. Now we know Dr. George Eat actually um, has some amazing research on this, that when we're eating a lot of these ultra processed food over time, the sugars, the seed oils, it can actually um, shift the neurotransmitters, um, GABA and glutamate. And, you know, we all know about dopamine, right? But those are two neurotransmitters a lot of people don't know about. And so you really, your brain really wants to keep those two level. And so they found that um, glutamate levels can be really high in people who are dealing with severe depression. Um, you know, people who've taken their own lives have really high levels of glutamate. Um, and so they actually found that people that are eating these ultra processed foods can have really high levels of glutamate in their brain. And what that does is it actually prevents your brain from um, engaging in neuroplasticity. And what does that mean? Neuroplasticity is really important. It allows you to take in new information, to cope with stress, allows your brain to mold, to change, to be able to, to go through life. And so, you know, as we, um, you know, life is tough, we need to be able to cope with stress, whatever you're going through in life, you need to be able to take in new information, you need to be able to move on. Um, and so it's kind of a crazy cycle. I see, I, you know, I worked in mental health for a few years that people, you know, they're getting all this therapy, they're doing all these things, they're, you know, inpatient, but they're eating so much shit. They're eating all these, you know, ultra processed foods and sugar. And it's like, all right, I just, I'm so anxious and I don't know what to do. And I, I don't feel better. It's like that telephone game, like in one year out the other, like you say something, your, your brain needs to be able to actually utilize and process that information. And so at the same time, your blood sugar is getting these crazy rises and crashes. Your brain isn't actually able to cope with stress. It's, it's you know, and so then what do you do? You eat more, you know, junk. <laughs> and the cycle continues. So, yeah, I'm a huge advocate for, you know, avoiding processed food, like, as much as possible. You know, I'm not going to argue with somebody that's, you know, uses it for very specific person, um, purposes or races or has a piece of cake on their birthday. Like, you know, and honestly, like, I don't really care what anybody eats. Like my goal is to just share my, my story and what the facts are. And, you know, <laughs> you all knock yourselves out with what you want to do with this. Um, but I do think that it's amazing. You know, I just, uh, read the most recent report that 63% of America drinks at least one soda every day, every single day. You know, most of most people have at least one to two processed carbohydrates every single day, granola bars, cereal, cookies, crackers. So it's like, I don't think we can keep being like, oh, man, it's social media, it's violence, it's this and that. It's like, your life will change a lot when you clean up your diet. You know, that's where I would start if I, you know, that's. <laughs> That would be my message. And obviously it's my advocacy. Like, it's just amazing how many people tell me they're depressed. And, but once again, why don't more people do it? It's an addiction. It's a socially acceptable addiction. If you don't believe me, go to a group of friends or go to your coworkers. I suggested this in my last co-work. I work in a new office now. I said, Hey, how about we all do no sugar for 30 days? <laughs> how did that people go? lose their minds. Like, <laughs> you mean just why we're here or just not, not for patients, right? Like, no, all of us. For 30 days, even where, oh, you know, so <laughs> I mean, I had a patient in the hospital told me she would rather die than give up cake. You know, um, it's, it's amazing how, how tied to, to these foods people are. So, so for the people that want to break the cycle, how do you feel the best way to do that without setting yourself up for failure is? Yeah. So I think you need to know yourself because some people are like, let's, I'm all in, let's go, let's whatever. And some people are like, let's step into this, you know, and that might be for many people, the better long-term solution. Like if you've been eating, if you're eating a ton of carbohydrates and processed foods, maybe, you know, for the first week you just switch. So you do water into the soda, you know, you, instead of eating cereal you're eating eggs you're like literally replacing processed foods with real foods like i think if we all just did that we would see a massive shift you know you're not eating anything packaged you know you're cooking at home um 
but I think getting support too is the biggest thing, you know, whether you're investing in like a health coach or, you know, maybe a low carbohydrate, uh, dietitian, you know, there's so many people online too that, that'll, that have like 30 day challenges, like get, getting with a group where you can be accountable. You can share like, what do I eat? How much do I eat? Some, you know, having that, some feedback, I think can be really good. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I would do. Um, and like I said, you know yourself, like I went all in <laughs> and I wish I had done a little more research, like the whole electrolytes, have electrolytes. That's a big one. Um, and then, and whatever, however you choose to do it, um, give yourself 30 days. Say, I want to do this for 30 days. And this is a good life lesson, but don't care what anybody else does. You know, I'm, my husband doesn't like it. My kids. Okay. Okay. You know, that's okay. My friend's mad. Bob down the street says it's a fad. Okay. This is your life, you know? And ideally you want your partner and you want your kids and you want your coworkers to be on board. And I got news for you. 93% your statistics are against you, right? This is, you know, our people are unhealthy. So, but you know what people want? People want to not be depressed. People want to be happy. People want to be active. And so when you change and you get better, people are going to ask, people are going to be curious, you know? So, you know, I rarely talk about what I eat. Obviously it comes up if I'm eating at work or something. Um, but you know, the reason that my wife got on board was because she saw the dramatic change in me. And so I think if we can just do our thing, you know, um, that's the only way we're going to change other people too. That's the only way we're going to get our society healthier because as much as I am a fangirl and adore Nina Teichel, I think she's just so cool. I got to meet her <laughs> and all the advocacy she's trying to do at a national level. I mean, she is fighting a very, very hard, you know, a lot of at stake trying to change um, the guidelines. So, you know, if we're not going to change it from the top, we're going to kind of have to do a grassroots. So you mentioned avoiding processed f- f- food. Sorry, I don't know why I just stuttered there. <laughs> um, <laughs> you you mentioned avoiding processed food. The more I've done this, the more I really believe. Because when I first did a low carb approach, like I'm sure the three of us can relate. Maybe not, but I was like, "Oh, carbs are bad. Avoid the carbs. Avoid the carbs." But six years later, I'm like, "It's not really the carbs. It's just the processed foods." Like I'm eating a ton of fruit right now. I feel great. I've tracked my, my blood glucose, my ketone levels. And from what I've seen, it hasn't affected my ability to burn fat, even though I am doing more carbs than I used to like five years ago when I started. And so I do believe a big part of this is just cutting out the processed foods, not necessarily worrying about the carb count, but just replacing that with fruits and vegetables. And naturally your carb count will come down because, you know, 90% of the standard American diet is getting carbs from the processed foods and not the fruits and vegetables. But this leads me to my next question, um, <clears throat> race day fueling and nutrition for athletes. And what I mean by that is, you know, in October, I, I shifted to just eating meat, dairy, and fruit, basically, like day to day, that's all I'm doing. And I feel amazing. But I'm in this weird predicament. So this is kind of a selfish question, because I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about it. <laughs> but I'm in this weird position where like, I'm not planning on running my races, only eating meat and fruit. Like that's a given. (laughs) (laughs) And so like come Saturday or Friday, which is typically when I do my long run, I start trying my spring energy. Like, you know, I'll have some rice or something like that stuff. I'm typically not eating throughout my week to give me like a little bit of a performance boost, but Mm -hmm. it's wrecking, it's wrecking my gut. Like I, I get the farts. I feel like I'm going to puke while I'm running. Like I run great. I was telling Derek, like, I had some amazing runs over the weekend, but my stomach hurt the entire time. Mm. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on finding the balance of cutting out the processed foods, but still using those strategically. So your (laughs) gut's used to it on race day. Yeah. And that's, and I mean, real quick to back up, I agree what you said too about, um, you know, I think in the low low carb in the carnivore community, for sure, they can be like anti-carb, any carb is bad, Ah, all carb is bad. And I think for some people, certainly myself included, like my health was so poor that it really benefited me to go pretty much zero, very, very low carb for a while. And certainly if you're obese or type two diabetic, and obviously if you have um, epilepsy or something where you really need to be ketogenic, I think that's, that makes sense. 
But I think, um, and in my experience as an athlete, like adding the carbohydrates back in is crucial. It's been really important for uh, my performance. And, you know, I, I think specifically for women, I think we can certainly benefit from carbohydrates, especially when we're having a period and other things. So I'm very pro like whole food carb, however that works out for you, whether that's sweet potatoes or rice or whatever, you know, fruit. Um, for race day, I do think, you know, practicing on those long runs is, is like the best thing you can do. And it is, it's challenging because I'm like, man, I'm using more carbs today or this morning than I do all day, you know, and like finding like what works. Cause in my experience, you know, I'm, and like you said, like you're going to have these, um, much better fueled runs, but then your stomach's going to be a little weird. And I think that's just the only way you can do that is just over time because, you know, you, you have bacteria in your gut that just aren't used to those foods um and so i would recommend you know i know some people and i know zach better even uh what he'll do is he'll start using some of his the food he's going to use um in his race like a few weeks before he'll start swapping it out like okay if i'm going to use you know crackers or rice or whatever i'm going to start making that kind of part of my everyday meal just to get his stomach a little bit more used to that um you know i don't do a, a whole lot differently than I do day to day. I tend to do like rice on my run, uh, long runs. I'll do some rice and I'll do the S fields. Um, and, but that's something that I've been using like throughout, uh, my long runs. So yeah, I would just say if you're able to whatever you're using, if you can, you know, incorporate it and it stinks too. Cause you're like, ah, I feel so great when I just eat fruit and I got to eat rice instead. Like I always feel like I have such a bad attitude with rice. Like what does rice done to me? It doesn't do anything. It's just this weird it feels like a worthless carb, right? <laughs> Zero nutritional value other than just carbs. But, um, you know, just kind of sucking it up and doing that a few weeks before, I think is probably the best way that at least your GI can kind of get used to it. So if I heard you right, you you implement these things weekly in your long run. And is that the only time you do it? Just the day of your long run? Um, For the, like the actual like drink S fuels that I, that I use. So I'm, I'm not doing that during the day, um, right. but I, I have rice too on my long, like long runs. And so we'll sometimes I'll have that with my evening meal or like post run. Okay. Okay. And then you're saying Zach, he said that four weeks or so before a race, he'll implement crackers and other stuff like that. Yeah. Or even like S fuel stuff. Yeah. He'll like do it in a smoothie or whatever, just to get his system more used to it. So. Interesting. Yeah, actually, a couple of years ago, I was at Jackpot when um, I think he, Zach ran like a world record 100 or something. Um, I don't remember exactly what he was doing. Um, I was just out there filming and stuff. And it's interesting because I have images of him and Nicole is handing him crackers and stuff. And I was kind of blown away at first. But then talking to him afterwards, he's like, oh, yeah, like, obviously, you need some carbs if you're going to perform. And I just found it kind of interesting because I always assume that like, OK, well, Zach's keto. He's just going to eat meat and S fields and salt or whatever on his runs. (laughs) He's definitely incorporating carbohydrates and not the typical carbs that we think of as like low carb or animal based. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that he was doing that too. It's just, you know, before I, cause like I said, it was in October, I switched to the meat, dairy and fruit before that I would do random, like, you know, usually before my long run, I would get sushi the night before. Mm. Uh, I would utilize siete almond flour tortillas and make like enchiladas. Um, like I would just do a lot of stuff that weren't just meat and fruit and dairy. And so like it, I had no issues on my long run, but now where I've essentially eliminated that for my day to day, like, and just reserved it strictly for long run days. Like that's where I've started seeing issues with my gut. So I yeah, you have to incorporate it back in a little bit, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I hear <Low> you. Key- <laughs> Me and Derek, I'm not, not going to say too much about it because it's still very early in the stages, but Derek and I are talking about creating something fuel-based that's like very, very real and not very processed. So hopefully- Oh, good can, for you. Yeah. Cool. Hopefully it works out. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like I just talked a lot, Derek. Did I cut you, <laughs> cut you off or anything? Oh, no, you're good. I was interested in that as well because- like I've been experimenting with fueling sources on long runs recently, like the past few months. And um, I, I don't remember if I've mentioned this before on the show, but I was up in Prescott, Arizona. It's like northern-ish Arizona, kind of northern, central, whatever. And I uh, were there on a shoot and did a medium length run midweek. And I stopped at the local, like it's a hiking store, but they have running stuff. And I was looking at gels and they had spring gels and it was like $5, or $4.50 or $5 for a gel. And so in my head, I'm like, screw that. Like I'm not paying $5 for a gel. Like 
even if it is like real food. And so I bought a couple of goo packets and I had those. And then the next day my stomach hurt so bad because like I haven't had that sort of like ultra processed crap in a long time. And those are probably the, the pinnacle of like synthetic race fuel. Like there's nothing real in those things. They're disgusting. Like they taste terrible. <laughs> and then they make you feel terrible. And like, and it was just really validated like why you should be eating real food. But then it also comes back to that like conundrum of how to eat real food on a run and still perform well. Because it seems like a lot of high-performing athletes, like whether it's marathons or trail running, triathlon or whatever, they're all consuming like extremely highly processed foods. I know that's kind of like a kind of redundant there, but I just found it kind of interesting. No, that is interesting. And I definitely feel like ideally too, you know, you want something in and out of your system quickly, you know, so finding that kind of balance of like, what's going to settle and, you know, maltodextrin, which is, that's what's in most sports formulas, right? The goos and gels. I mean, they're the kind of nerdy chemistry, like the molecular weight is just pretty low. It's like 2000 grams per mole. So that's going to kind of like sit in your system, you know, so you kind of get that slosh belly. So, yeah. yeah. And it's, I mean, not ideal. I know a lot of people do that. So if you can find something that empties from your system better, is easier on your system. I mean, that's kind of the whole whole name of the game. So yeah. what else do you do aside from S fuels and rice? Like we haven't really talked about your accomplishments of a runner. <laughs> like going back to your introduction, you made the comment how like you thought, I think you said age 36, how you're not going to be competitive anymore. And it was either last year or the year before you won, was it Tunnel Hill, the 50 yeah. miler? Yeah. So you obviously know what you're doing performance wise. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I'm curious to hear what you utilize on race day aside from S fuels and rice. And that was it last time. Um, oh. I did a hundred K. Yeah. And you know, I, I found I'm able to eat a lot less than I used to, or, or just potentially need a lot less calories, you know, even at faster paces. Once again, I, you know, obviously hopefully burning more fat for fuel. Um, at, I did a hundred K and that was pretty tough. It, it, part of the race was like under, like through this mud and like it was awful. And so I ended up being out there longer and I felt like, you know, the wheels started to fall off and all bets were off. And so that's when it was just like, I mean, I had a mountain, there was a mountain dew out there. So I had that, I haven't had a mountain dew in 30 years, <laughs> you know, they had some like graham crackers, like, okay, like whatever. So that wasn't planned, but you know, strategically I, I tend to, and you know, I haven't done anything. My longest race has been 10 hours. I imagine, you know, as I go higher than that, you know, if I'm going to venture into the hundred mile races, then I'll start to look at incorporating a little bit of fat, you know, a little bit of whether it's coconut oils or nut butters or something. Um, but yeah, mostly it's just been as fuels, uh, rice. And then that last race, you know, it's a little, a little wonky. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't oh. do gels. Oh, sorry, Derek. I haven't. Uh, no. um, have you tried the S Fields gel? Just out of I have. Yeah, yeah. I, I just actually tried it, and um, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I I appreciate the the gel, of, and you know, the one thing about S Fields is it's been easy on my stomach. Um, so that's one of the things I like about it. Um, I'm planning on using it uh, for the the 50 mile. I'm doing the Jackpot Ultra in a few weeks, so I'm going to do nice. the 50. So, and I like that, you know, that's one or two where my wife can be at the, you know, it's a loop. So that's always nice. So I, I'll probably have a combo. I'll have the gel, I'll have the Estrell's race. I'll have rice. Um, <laughs> she's like, I'm bringing more stuff as that last race, you know, it was such a, such a mess that <laughs> find somebody who has something like, I just can't, you know, cause sometimes too, you almost get palate fatigue where you're like, oh my gosh, I need to do something different. And my body was just hurting. So, um, yeah, I mean, my, my strategy is usually pretty simple. So how are you, how are you trans, this sounds weird to say it this way, but how are you transporting your rice? Because I've seen people make rice balls and like kind of rice bar type things. Mm-hmm. And then the other day, I forgot who posted it, but, um, they were making waffles out of rice. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's kind of interesting. There is for like a bike thing. So you could yeah. basically pack like a bunch of waffles with you, but made out of rice and not just like weed or whatever. So like, what are you doing to make rice portable for your races and long runs? Yeah, it's, it's balls. So they're very, you know, and usually like a sticky type rice, put some salt on it, wrap it in plastic. Um, and you know, I I haven't, no, I don't, my stomach doesn't do great with honey. It's unfortunate because I like honey. I think it tastes good. (laughs) Um, and so I, I have a belt that has, you know, a pouch on the side and then, you know, I'm a 
girls have a sports bra. So, you know, you can put some stuff in your sports bra. And then generally with like the, um, courses that I do, I I tend to be loop ish, you know, I've got like a seven mile loop. I like, I've got, um, a few others. So then I can always come back to my car after a couple loops and like switch it out. Um, yeah. So it's not, not too crazy. Yeah. It seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. No, no magic, unfortunately. (laughs) Cool. Well, the next question I have is going to go away from this. So did you have any more comments or questions, Derek, on this subject? Um, I was saying we're getting pretty close to time. So I was thinking about talking about cholesterol for a minute, but, um, you can go ahead. Well, yeah, before we go into cholesterol, I do have one more quick question. So what we hear about macros when you go on a keto diet, like, you know, I've heard 60 to 70% fat. I've heard 20 to 25% protein and then the rest carbs, like different variations of that. I'm wondering though, like I have my idea on this answer, but I'm curious to hear what you think, Michelle. If you're an athlete and you're not necessarily concerned about gluconeogenesis, do you feel like there is a protein range that you should try to shoot for or avoid in terms of macros? Interesting. I've never thought about avoidance, you know? Um, It's just like when you go keto, you hear the phrase like, don't do too much protein because it could convert. Yeah, I don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. Um, you know, I, in my situation, my body was so broken. I was kind of like on team as much protein as possible. And obviously you can okay. get a little out of control, but I think a good range, you know, one gram per pound of lean body mass. And um, if you don't know what that is, you know, you can certainly go to a gym they can do your, you know, fat to whatever. But unless, in my opinion, unless you have a very specific disorder that you're really trying to be purely ketogenic, you know, and you probably might not be an an athlete if you're doing that. Um, I would lean on the side of getting a little bit more protein than less. Cool. I agree with that, but I was just curious to hear your take on it, which can shift to the next topic, cholesterol. Cholesterol. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. Because too much meat gives you too much cholesterol, right? It does. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously anytime you follow an animal based diet, you're going to get a rise in, well, maybe not anytime, but most people are going to get a rise in their, um, total cholesterol and specifically the LDL. And that freaks people out, that freaks doctors out that, you know, um, and so, cause there's a narrative that LDL causes heart disease. And I think it's a big mistake in many things in life, certainly with cholesterol to look at it in a vacuum. Um, because LDL on its own is not enough to cause heart disease. Having high BL will not clog your arteries on its own. If it did, the human race would not exist. <laughs> we evolved eating meat and saturated fat, you know, the megafauna. There's a few um, primitive cultures, you know, the Maasai in Kenya and, and the Inuit Eskimos that eat very high saturated fat. You know, the Inuit is 80%, like whale blubber, and they had zero rates of heart disease. So, you know, I think one of the things that happened, well, there's a lot of things that happen, but if you look in at a occluded artery, like an artery that's been clogged with plaque, you will find LDL. And so, you know, doctors and scientists said, oh my God, there's LDL in this artery, LDL clogs arteries, and we need a lower LDL, less, you know, anything we can do, whether that's high fiber diet, low meat, statin, got to keep LDL low. But once again, they didn't ask the question, well, why? Why is LDL in this artery? Because the Inuit Eskimos have super skyrocket. I mean, some of their LDLs are as high as 800 and they have um, no heart disease. So, you know, I'm sure you guys can probably guess what the number one cause. So in order for your, uh, in order to get LDL stuck in your arteries, you need inflammation and oxidation. And so the number one cause of inflammation and oxidation is... Sugar. Hyperglycemia over time. So basically, um, when you're, that's why type two diabetics have a, you know, two to four fold risk of uh, having a heart attack or heart disease. So when you're, when your blood sugar is high over time, that'll actually start to cause damage and inflammation within the artery. Then LDL gets stuck in your artery. So yes, is it very dangerous to have a high meat and high fat diet on top of type two diabetes? On top of a very highly processed, high carb, yes, that is very dangerous. But by itself, we actually have lots. You know, I cited in my book several case studies of people where their LDL is higher 
actually have a better immune system. They fight infections better. They live longer. <laughs> so once again, you know, I think, unfortunately, we've, um, we've tackled the problem, you know, incorrectly, like, oh, heart disease, ah, eat less meat, like, no, it should have been heart disease, ah, eat less sugar and processed foods. So yeah, that's my that's my take on that. So I am not worried. And we do have a really good study um, that, you know, a statin isn't warranted in the context of a low carbohydrate diet if your LDL so, is high. So do you feel if if you're a person who's essentially eliminated processed foods, processed sugars, that there really is no range to be of concern in terms of LDL and HDL levels? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think you have to look once again, you can't look at it in a vacuum. It's like you have to say, okay, like what 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 are my triglycerides? What is my blood sugar? You know, what is everything? Like, unfortunately, if I was a super, super duper unhealthy human, like for 60 years, maybe I need to get a coronary artery scan. Maybe I need to see what is the status of my heart right now. You know, like, do I already have a massive amount of inflammation and oxidation? But um, yeah, in general, like mine is mine is really high. I'm not worried about it. You know, I wouldn't, um, but, but my triglycerides are low. My A1C is low. My C-reactive protein, a measurement of inflammation is low, right? So when you look at everything together and in context, you know, in my opinion, it makes sense to have a higher LDL because of all the potential positive factors of it. Yeah. I, uh, I'm fortunate to have a good doctor that's not biased. (laughs) Uh, cause when I got my last physical, which I, I'm actually going right after this podcast to get my yearly physical f- for this nice. year, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I, according to like the range, like if you were to Google, like what's a bad cholesterol range, according to that answer, <clears throat> I was in that range, but I, I want to say my triglycerides were, it was 36. And so my doctor, like he's like, yeah, your cholesterol is high according to the definition of high cholesterol, but your triglycerides are great. So keep eating how you're eating, keep doing what you're doing and don't worry about it. So I, I'm, I, I guess there's not really a question there either. I was just saying that it's, it's good to get a doctor that's not biased because that can help you out a lot to not worry about these types of things. Because if your doctors, t- like we, we all know that some doctors are are biased and they're doing it for the money. <laughs> I don't want to say all doctors are doing that. Cause like I said, I really like my doctor, but you know, if your professional medical professional is telling you that your cholesterol is too high, then that is something that can easily cause concern for a lot of people. Um, so I do think it's important to, to say that there's a lot more to cholesterol than just how high it is, is basically all I'm trying to say. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I would tell, I always tell people like, if you're, if your doctor or dietitian cannot explain things to you, then you need a new one. You know, if you say like, okay, well, yeah, my LDL is high, but I see my other numbers are high. Like, what do you think about that? Like, cause we have lots of, like, if they're not keeping up, that's their problem. Like, you know, ask your dietitian, have you ever seen somebody with type two diabetes get off insulin following a consistent carbohydrate diet or, you know, ask questions, you know, we, I worry that some of our dietitians and medical professionals have lost the ability to think critically and it's not per se their fault. I mean, they're way too many patients are often just chasing their tails and they're just, you know, their knowledge is very like, they're not taught to think critically. So yeah, you want to make sure whoever you're working with is able to like see the whole picture. That's a very good point, Michelle. I think it's interesting how at least I've, maybe I'm just speaking from like, my own like history and past, but like, I used to just think like, Oh, you're a doctor. Like, you know, everything, you're the smartest human on the planet. You're perfect. You can't do any wrong. And then like, as I got older and like, I've been to a few doctors and have even dated some, I'm like, Oh, like not every doctor is perfect. And I'd say yeah, they're like, human. Sorry, just like, like this guy's a bozo, you know, like yeah. he's literally just spouting out what he's heard. Like he's not even looking at the situation. It's, it's like anything else in life. There are amazing like I admire you, life-saving doctors. And then they're terrible doctors. Same thing yeah. with dietitians, same thing with I- any course of life. But yeah, I hear you that you're like, you would think that like, yeah, yeah you would think they would all be pretty elite. Totally. It's like, you can, you can like, I don't know, hire a plumber and they could be, they could be like a certified plumber or whatever, but they could suck at their job. Yes. Right. <laughs> so it's like, a lot of people see it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, as, as you would shop around for like, 
say a butcher or a plumber or electrician, you should also shop around for a doctor, like find a doctor that's knowledgeable and actually critically thinks and looks at new information too. doesn't get stuck in the past. In my exactly. opinion, anyways. I agree. That's good to know. Yeah. If any of the listeners want a, an awakening, go research Dr. Chris Dunch, and then you'll really know that doctors can have a bad side. <laughs> have, have any of you heard of him before? Dr. Death? No. Dr. No. Death or Dr. Dunch? What did you say? His name is Dr. Dunch, but his nickname okay. is Dr. Death, <laughs> which is not a good nickname to have as a doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to go look it up. Now I'm curious. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Go look it up. Watch the Peacock series. It's very disturbing. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, go, oh, go ahead, Derek. I was say, I think we're uh, about out of time now. Uh, Michelle, you, do you have to get going or Mike? Yeah, yeah I got to go to my physical. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, um, I'll go ahead. But yeah, we, well, no, I was just going to thank Michelle for coming on. Did you have another question, Derek, before we wrap no. up? No, that was it. I just want to do the same thing. Like, thanks, Michelle, for taking the time. Like, I know you're super busy, so we really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to, to come chat anytime. Yeah, and we'll be sure to put a link to Amazon or somewhere uh, similar for people to look at your book uh, on Instagram. I love your Instagram name. Do you want to share where they can find yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, so I'm on, Insta- on Instagram at, at run, eat, meet, repeat. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Michelle Hearn RD. Okay, we'll be sure to add those too. Thank you. Uh, but yes, thank you for coming. Thanks for taking the time to share this uh, information with everybody. Uh, in terms of this year, this is just a real quick, curious question for me. So you have jackpot ultra. What else are you doing this year? Oh, so if that goes well, fingers crossed, I would like to do a 12 hour race in August and then potentially my first hundred mile, um, looking at maybe Rocky raccoon. So that would be February, 2024. So nice. Yeah. It's exciting. (laughs) You know, it's exciting to think about. I remember coming from a marathon, you know, you're like, Oh man, I, I could never want to run more than that. And then, you know, you run, I did a six hour and I'm like, Oh, maybe I could do a 50 mile. Oh, maybe do a hundred, you know, like it just kind of keeps growing on itself. So it's, it's amazing what the human body can do. I guess that would be my final message to people. You know, I always say the, um, the human body and brain, I mean, have a tremendous capacity to heal, like truly like greater than anyone has ever allowed you to believe. I've met so many people that are like, Oh, I'm just destined to be in pain or anxious. Like, you just, we have to start providing our body with the correct nutrition and really eliminating things that are not ideal. Perfect note to end on. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And real quick, all, all the listeners, we, uh, <clears throat> since in the past, the, the questions that we've answered have taken up a lot of the podcast, uh, Derek and I have decided that we'll start doing once a month, just a, a podcast dedicated to questions and answers. So for those who you at, for those of you who asked questions last week, we'll get to those sometime this month. We, we, we want to let you know that we're not forgetting you. Uh, so bear with us as we try to figure out the structure of this, but thanks for listening. Thanks for the questions. Is there anything you want to add, Derek? No, I think that's it. We'll see you guys all next week. Okay. Enjoy, everybody. Thanks.